Episode number 55. I'm one of your hosts, Mike, and tonight I'm joined by, of course, Chris. Hello. And then the legendary Sand Chigger. How's it going, Chig? Pretty good. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing damn fine. Yep. Haven't really been gaming at all still, but, you know, after I get this licensure exam out of the way, it's going to be on. Hardcore. How about you guys? I don't um, I have not done really any gaming for the last few weeks, uh, because I've had work stuff to do, but, um, no, I've been painting, um, so there's some stuff up on the blog, uh, which is more stuff for the hybrid game, uh, I've had some good feedback from that, oh, and I've been writing, obviously, <laughs> So um, that's right. You've got uh, you got something new going on. Can you even talk about that? Uh, I can. I guess I can say what I'm working on because that's fine. Well, no, what exactly I'm working on. I can say what I'm working on. So yeah, I'm uh, now doing some freelance <clears throat> writing for Fasa and for um, Fading Suns. All right, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Good job, Chris. Thank you very much. Um, yeah. Um, current project is good i'm enjoying it um and i think the project after that will allow me a bit more room for uh you know being a bit more uh creative and and new stuff because obviously you know they've re-released recently i say re-released they've released their um game uh, games masters um book and the thing is with those with that book and the one they brought out before it really does consolidate a lot of old material so there's a, a you know it's the same thing when you get a new edition there's a lot of uh reconsolidation of material out there so um you know it's that happens but also it gives you a good chance to re-examine stuff so uh yeah it's fun it's good just got to write lots yeah absolutely and of course chris you and uh peter marshall did a really excellent review in one of our darkling episodes discussing uh fading suns which is uh pretty white wolf related since it's uh the, the brainchild of both uh bill bridges and andrew greenberg who yes yes indeed i mean um it's it is kind of like you know a um you, I guess you'd say it is white. It is a World of Darkness cousin of sorts because you only have to look at the um, the artwork. Uh, it shares a lot of similar art uh, style to uh, Werewolf the Apocalypse in places. A lot of the you know the black and white uh, kind of artwork. Um, so a lot of stuff is shared in there as well as writers themselves. Um, so. Yeah, and there's some exciting stuff on the horizon related to it as well. Uh, and yeah, you know, just gonna write. And it's changed what I'm mostly gonna run next after I finish my Iron Kingdoms campaign. I'm mostly gonna run Fading Suns so I can, you know, chuck some ideas in there and play test some things and, you know, just get the brain uh, thinking about these things more. 
Nice, nice. Excellent. And of course, Chig, you've been uh, exploring the world of Eclipse Phase quite a bit, and uh, your character, who's essentially the driver of the group, has actually been doing some pretty sweet stuff, hasn't he? Uh, yeah. Um, our one-shot, just to test the system, has apparently evolved itself into a fun little campaign. And uh, yeah, we're having having some fun out there. You're not going to tell everyone about how you drove a space station? <laughs> um, I, I did drive a space station into the sun, but there was a good reason for it. Um, it was infected with a horrible, horrible mutagen virus and was going to kill us all. So it was either the space station or us. And I think I made the right decision. Absolutely. Always save your own skin. Excellent, excellent. So this is going to be kind of a speed episode this week where we uh, talk about Mage 20th. So we're going to be skipping over a couple of things, not too much for uh, news or the mailbag. But uh, one thing we do want to bring up, of course, is that there's a new kid on the block, a new World of Darkness podcast, and that's Midnight Express. So for those of you that haven't found it yet, Midnight Express is a show by uh, two former members of our Rogue Council, Adrian Stagg and Stephen Nurse. So we uh, are pretty excited about this. Of course, Adrian has a lot of uh, experience both on Darker Days and with his own previous podcast, Mirage Arcana. And Steve's uh, been on the show, Darker Days Radio, and a lot of Darkling episodes. And uh, also that one episode where we reviewed the uh, Onyx Path schedule. Uh, I think I was back in season three. So uh, mm-hmm. definitely very well experienced. And uh, of course, they are, I would, I would almost say at this point, legends of the uh, World of Darkness community. So... Uh, definitely very exciting. And of course, I believe both of you, uh, Chris and Chig, you've checked out uh, the show so far. I yeah. listened to episode zero. Episode zero. Yeah. So they're gonna. And I just checked; it is now available on iTunes. All right. Cool. Excellent. So, of course, uh, we wish Stephen and uh, Adrian the best of luck, and uh, we'll definitely check back on them in the future. Mm-hmm. Any other opening comments for this episode, guys, or should we move on over to the secret frequency? Ooh, um, oh, um, anything new on... So we'll be doing uh, a few things with the Darker Days blog, so it's not just going to have toy soldiers being posted up on there. Um, I put up <laughs> recently, yeah. Well, it, people like pictures, so, you know. They're very nice toy soldiers, I'm not going to lie. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, they're, they're, they're also horror base so there might might be some uh, visual inspirations there for something um but we will be slowly moving over um doing some rearrangements the so sun's going to put up some more of her uh movie reviews uh, directly onto the blog there because it's useful and uh i have put up a uh, a blog post about the TV series Hannibal and how you can replicate some of the characters and uh, and basically use that series as kind of a template for a Hunter the Vigil game. Uh, so there are suggestions there on on you know what merits and and so forth to use from uh, God Machine Chronicles and from the excellent World of Darkness book Slasher. Outstanding, outstanding. Cool. And I think with that, let's move on over to the secret frequency. It's under the stairs. <laughs> oh, Steve. I love my The Alaskan Way Viaduct is a $4.25 billion transportation project in downtown Seattle that's run into some issues. Much of the project consists of below-grade tunneling, 
with a 60-foot diameter cylindrical boring machine named Big Bertha burrowing beneath the streets of Seattle. It's a highly intricate project, with a dozen engineering firms involved, carefully monitoring the progress, setting up instrumentation throughout the city, including a new system of closed-circuit television and numerous black boxes. In December 2013, the operation came to a halt. Bertha's blades were breaking down as the machine encountered something. It's not a boulder. Bertha could break down any such thing. And it's definitely not a steel pipe, because they've previously encountered one of those. So there Bertha sits, 120 feet below the city, as engineers scratch their heads. But was this really unexpected? In the world of darkness, this simple construction setback could lead to many intriguing stories. On the more mundane side, perhaps Bertha encountered a tendril of magma extending from Mount St. Helens. While this exposed magma might not directly impact the mortal world, what might it lead to across the gauntlet? Could a powerful being that the Uratha locked away in the uh, 1980s eruption uh, be unleashed once more? Part of Bertha's technology is based on diamond-tipped blades and rollers, so perhaps uh, it was solid blocks of diamond at the bedrock surface that broke the boring machine. But how could that mineral have formed there with only the cool and soft Seattle soil above it? Perhaps the energy of uh, Pyros is coursing through the earth here, leading to an unlikely milestone on a Promethean's pilgrimage. The heightened monitoring with CCTV and black boxes might not even be related to drilling at all. Uh, Seattle is a hotbed for intrigue, uh, for the unchained demons, and it may be that mortal authorities, influenced by angels, are slowly closing in on them. This drilling might also have some strange impacts in the Shadowlands of Wraith the Oblivion. Perhaps the drilling uh, in the mortal world is actually reflected in the uh, Seattle necropolis, with soil eroding away each night. The local hierarchy would be terrified that this erosion could lead to a Nihil, a maw in the Shadowlands crust leading to the Tempest, and with it the legions of hateful specters. Only by sabotaging this drilling could they stop the destruction of their black fortress in the cold, dead lands. Finally, let's consider Hunter the Reckoning. Uh, perhaps a group of operators and field engineers are imbued by the messengers and you know, given a message to break down the machine. They do it, and uh, though they don't know why, and they continue with their lives knowing nothing of the monsters around them. When the second site finally activates weeks later, as they uh, meet a bulbous creature claiming to be the construction company's CEO, what will they do? So, you guys uh, got any ideas for this peculiar event under the earth? Obviously, when this first turned up in the news, obviously there was no, um, there was, the, there was mystery about the the nature of this object because, of course, how difficult it is to get to the to to, to see what is ahead of the drilling machine. You know, you have to shut it all down and go through a series of uh, essentially airlocks to get to the front and to see what's ahead of the uh, the, the the actual drill bit itself. Um, but that's been it's been resolved that what it was was some old pipe somehow uh, pushed down into the earth so I would go with given what it is and that, that, that this thing has some sort of paper trail with regard to when it was uh, you know put into the earth back in apparently 2002 and so forth um, what if this pipe is a um, what if this pipe is the remnants of a uh, of an infrastructure of the God Machine, and uh, 
while this pipe was used uh, something to do with like uh, you know, enabling more structural stability in the area by like uh, siphoning off water out of the land around it and so forth. Uh, what if it's actually something more akin to that? I know it's manipulating some sort of energy, uh, which is important for the uh, God Machine's own uh, plans. And of course, it's been left behind. Uh, but in the time that the God Machine has left it there, this 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 pipe uh, has become a hive for some sort of uh, spiritual uh, you know, spirit entities that have you know gathered, fed on the. Uh, the etheric energy that has been gathering there and uh, we're just waiting for the time to be released which is now intriguing yeah it could be also interesting uh, simply to have a, a piece of in infrastructure that collects uh, etheric resonance and therefore when it breaks mm. well there's just aether everywhere which could superpower all of the uh, demons and angels in the area which could lead to uh, some high powered conflicts to say the least and it might also lead or attract many other unchanged from uh, surrounding areas just to uh, kind of use this place as a sort of siphon of some sort, which uh, could kind of destabilize politics or make things more dangerous for the uh, the demons that actually currently reside there in Seattle. Another idea with the pipe, and of course it's pointing downwards, maybe the actual steel of the pipe is uh, covered in some form of arcane runes and uh, which enables it to resonate with uh, you know, essence and etheric energy and it essentially holds open a gateway to, um, to some, some sort of other realm. I say this because I've been reading through uh, Demon Descent and there's like one of the powers, one of the, uh, one of the exploits is completely insane and so the idea of that of say a group of demons use that power and then use this this device and this material to keep that hole in reality open that allows them to go to this pocket realm which is their own maybe personal hell that they've made interesting mm -hmm. and what if it's just sitting right there under the seattle it could be interesting chig do you have any ideas i have a couple of ideas yeah um in the old world of darkness of course um my first idea when i read it was well if it can bore through boulders and it can go through steel pipes like there's nothing there, then it must obviously be something stronger than a steel pipe or just a, a large rock. So clearly um, it's a primium construct buried under Seattle. It makes perfect sense when you think about it. Primium mm -hmm. being the, uh, the super metal that uh, mages use. So there are only three groups that really use Primium in their constructions, and if it was the Iteration X, well, they wouldn't be digging there in the first place because Iteration X would never have let them approve those plans. So it's either the Sons of Aether or the Knights Templar, either of which is a fun idea, but personally I would go with the, uh, the Knights Templar uh, because they're just more fun. Uh, well, not that the, the Aetherites aren't fun, but for this idea, it's, you know, a, a vast ancient trove of uh, knowledge and uh, Templar treasure from the old world. Whoa, 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 whoa. You're going to have to explain this to me. The Knights Templar are super mages? Is that what's going on here? You, you got to explain to me the background of this chick. Well, of course they are. Don't be silly. Um, the Knights Templar are, <laughs> are one of many various disparate crafts that exist in mage. Hmm. 
Um, they are a group who uh, fight against uh, the order of reason and try to bring, um, uh, what should I call it, a worship of God and Christianity, uh, which uh, the order of reason, being against all gods and religions, uh, wanted to go ahead and eradicate. Uh, since the order of reason is now uh, the technocracy, uh, the Knights Templar are a very, very small group who, uh, as of around 2000, were partially absorbed by the Celestial Chorus. Ah, intriguing, intriguing. All right, Chagan, do you have any other, like, changeling ideas? you got to have at least one. Come on. Well, it could just be a buried um, freehold, uh, like Goblin Town in New York. So, you know, Goblin Town, West Coast. Okay. That's pretty interesting. But uh, there's really not a lot there that would that changelings could use to keep massive drilling creatures out. So that's why I wanted to make this time. You know, it could be that it's some sort of a bygone creature. Uh, for example, maybe it's just a dragon underneath the earth. Um, I think that's actually an idea in Shadowrun. Wasn't there a dragon that exploded out of Mount St. Helens? Or is that a Mount Fuji? Uh, there was a dragon that came out of at least one volcano, but I believe it was in Germany. There's no volcanoes in Germany. Okay. Oh, it was a mountain then. It became a volcano. <laughs> Because there was a dragon in there. Nice. When the dra- when the dragon flies out, it becomes yeah, a volcano. Yeah. Cool. All right. Any other uh, interesting ideas regarding this um, really minor Seattle event? Um, I can tell you, I tried to look for some conspiracy theories online, and I really didn't find any. I just got like <laughs> secret bunker and that sort of thing. Yeah, that's kind of boring and like it could be a uh, piece of the celestial ladder from Mage the Awakening. So, hmm. That's so, yes, yes. Actually, it could be some that's... sort of ruins from a bygone age. Uh, perhaps, perhaps some far-flung uh, part of the uh, Nameless Empire, or um, some sort of uh, echo from another timeline that never came to be in uh, Mage of the Awakening. Yeah, it could also be. I'm trying to think of some other interesting ideas. Uh, it would be because of its location, and you know, it's deep in the earth, and that has resonance with the uh, underworld it could be uh, an old facility of uh, Orpheus mm. um, so they use it as a way of easily accessing the underworld because it had the right resonance to open gateways directly in yeah absolutely it could be yeah. a Nosferatu uh, hangout deep under the ground it could be a warren yes it's a little deep underground for them. They usually go. seem to co-opt uh, existing infrastructure, but you never know. Maybe they got some money to throw around. Well, if it was a if it was a pipe, like uh, like Chris said, then perhaps that is the co-opting that went mm-hmm. on. Nice. All right. So I think that's it for the secret frequency. So let's move on over to the classic world of darkness. Classic world of darkness. So, uh, for those of you that don't know, there's currently a Kickstarter going on for the Mage 20th Anniversary Edition Deluxe book. I, of course, am very excited about this. Uh, Chig's extremely excited about this. And Chris is our... Ah, uh... uh, you know, oh, okay. I could take or leave. And Chris is our, uh, our resident skeptic, I'd say. So, he's going to uh, kind of ask the, the, the tough questions about this book. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, it's a good Kickstarter, but uh, I would say... You know, I've not pledged for any of the physical copies of any of the 20th anniversary ones simply because 
I just don't have the space, and I don't know when I would run them, honestly. Mm. You know, I have too much fun with New World of Darkness as it is that I don't know how I would fit this stuff in amongst everything else. But yeah, I mean, it's great to see it coming back, and um, I think some of the FAQs on the uh, that we'll be looking at, uh, some of the questions here, may or may not address some uh, important points about how Mage of the Ascension fits into... Uh, well, is is a still a valid game for uh, for this you know time since it's you know what almost ten years since they killed the world of darkness. It is, well, yeah, it's ten years. Classic world of darkness. Whoa, mm-hmm. nice. So as Chris alluded to, um, there's actually some nice FAQs on the Onyx Path website, which we're going to link in the show notes, and we're kind of going to be following those along as we uh, discuss Mage Twenty and can use that as our basic structure, but we'll probably go off on a lot of crazy tangents. Uh, and and debates. I'm sure, especially with Chick around and his endless knowledge of Mage of the Ascension. I don't know what you're talking about when you're when you say tangents and. Nope, we never <laughs> okay. do that. Sorry, you're, I must have must been confused with different uh, podcasts. So, uh, with that, well, let's start off easy. Question number one: What is Mage of the Ascension? Chig, can you just give us just a couple sentences? Just kind of give us the basic feel and vibe of Mage of the Ascension. Mage the Ascension is a game originally intended um, to be about uh, a group of people who have beliefs that they can impose on reality. Um, in the original setting, back when uh, the bad guys were clear and defined, uh, the game was about people who had rather antiquated beliefs about uh reality versus the evil modern science. Uh, the game has evolved since then, like all the old World of Darkness games did, to uh, show that the good guys aren't always that great and the bad guys aren't always that horrible. So the game is still one about belief and pushing humans toward a specific fate, but uh, what fate is best for humanity is left up to each individual player and group. Absolutely, absolutely. I think the core thing that we also mm-hmm. discuss is that there's really four basic factions. I'm going to say that in kind of quotation marks, because they're, uh, except for the technocracy, they're all very disparate. So, of course, we have the original good guys, mm-hmm. who I'd say are still the, the primary protagonists of the setting, and they are the traditions, which are really a bunch of disparate groups um, all brought together, mostly because they don't want to uh, be a part of or support these other uh, three core factions. Um, so you've got a variety of different uh, beliefs and philosophies all tentatively working together uh, in this this Ascension War. So, for example, you have the uh, Sons of Ether that you mentioned before. They're in some ways mad scientists, in other ways just dreamers uh, trying to come up, with, come up with new and interesting technology. And then you might also have the Celestial Chorus mm-hmm. that uh, Chig, you also mentioned, who um, are mostly trying to bring about or, or support uh, belief systems, mostly in higher deities. Uh, but they're not exactly Christianity. In some ways they used to be, but they really um, support a lot of different uh, belief systems overall at this time. And another one just to throw out there. The Celestial Chorus. Yeah. The, 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 the breakdown that I use for the, the nine traditions is where they believe okay. magic comes from and what it is at, at its core. Each mm. one of them has has a, a very broad core belief. Uh, 
the celestial chorus, for instance, believe that magic uh, comes from a supreme being. Now that could be God, it could be the devil, it could be what it could be anything bigger than yourself. It believes that magic comes from something bigger than the mage, and the mage is given the ability to work magic by this larger being. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then, uh, of course, the the other three factions beyond the uh, the traditions are. Uh, the Nafandi, the Marauders, and the Technocracy, which really represents um, three core ideas which are very popular in the classic world of darkness. That being uh, entropy for the Nafandi, um, chaos for the Marauders, and then stasis for the Technocracy. Um, <clears throat> Trig, since you uh, are far more eloquent when it comes to mage, perhaps you could just give like two sentences on each of those uh, factions? Okay, I can try. Uh, the technocratic union are the aforementioned evil mad scientist guy. Well, not mad, but evil scientist people. Originally, they were shown as gray-faced bad guys a la the Matrix. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they hunt down people who have different beliefs and kill or mind-wipe them into being recruited. Um since the game line went on, like I said, uh, the definition of who's good and who's bad has kind of broadened uh, because I, for one, enjoy having the internet here and running water, so the technocratic union isn't entirely bad. They do have some good ideas. Um, so they, while they originally embodied stasis, like Mike said, um, you can't really have stasis in science. There, there's always a new idea, a new goal to reach. Um, but yes, it's, it's, a, it's a different different viewpoint than the uh, traditionalist beliefs. Uh, marauders, which Mike says are a group, are not really even a group. Um, they are mages of any, any type who uh, have fallen to uh, uh, insanity. And if you are somebody who can invest reality with your will and change reality to your will and you go insane, then very little good can come of that. Nefandi, uh, when, when I said earlier that there are groups that have good ideas and groups that have bad ideas, I was specifically talking about everybody except the Nefandi who, for various reasons, whether they worship Cthulhu or whether they are just horrible, horrible people to begin with, uh, want to destroy reality. They want to drag it all down and make the hurting stop. Uh, They might have, from their point of view, a good reason to do this. I mean, it's all relative, I suppose, if you think that you're going to rule at Cthulhu's right hand or if you think that really reality is horrible and it should end. I mean, that's, that's as valid a point of view as any, I suppose, but it's not one that I espouse myself. And so... Traditionalists and technocrats alike work to stop the Nefandi from destroying literally everything in existence. Absolutely. And one of the mm-hmm. interesting facets of the Nefandi is that uh, they introduce the fact that, you know what, it might not be their fault that they're that way. They might have just been born that way with a broken avatar, which is kind of an interesting uh, element, uh, kind of a sad thing to consider when you're, uh, you know, facing them down. Yeah, it's 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 tough that they had a, a poor, horrible upbringing or whatever, or that they were just born that way, but sucks for them, yep. but I like my reality existing, so, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Cool. So that's Mage the Ascension. And, um, well, the next point is, uh, isn't Mage kind of 90s? And I'm actually going to read out uh, Phil Brucato's answer. Uh, Phil is the, uh, sorry, Sateros Phil Brucato is the line developer for uh, Mage 20th. And um, he wrote up these FAQs. So I'm going to read out his, his answer to, uh, isn't Mage kind of 90s? He says, quote, nope. Mage is dynamic, not static. The original 1993 Mage was a product of its time. This one reflects our 21st century era. And although you can Tarantino it, cross-pollinating decades to get the look and feel you want, Mage 20 is very much a game of now, not then. End quote. So I think that's a really uh, very good point to bring up, is that, you know, when Mage first came out, it was definitely influenced by a lot of, uh, you know, movies and television that uh, I guess White Wolf writers were watching at the time. So you had some pretty funky things going on, you know, cyborg, biker gangs, of course, the whole, you know, science being evil, and then, you know, more traditional sensibilities being good. Uh, those were definitely uh, issues that have been addressed in, in later uh, versions of Mage, especially the revised era. Uh, and now with the newer uh, technocracy convention books that we've been talking about on the show. So I think it's definitely just a good answer to have. Uh, what do you guys think? I would agree that I think that the kind of classic mage was very much kind of very 90s in that way. Um, you can, t- I mean, you can tell a lot from, again, like the artwork or the kind of short stories that are there or the, um, or just the way the game is really presented. So... I consider the kind of uh, you know magic versus versus science as being kind of the the original kind of sort of one of the key default kind of themes of of stories you could run as being quite nineties, uh, especially because if you consider the nineties, it was you know you had the millennium was was on the horizon coming towards you, and everyone was hoping for this great change to occur when you know the clock struck midnight and it was the year 2000 and everything would be shiny happy and new and we'd be these uplifted in by some means so i think kind of the science versus magic kind of represented that fear of the future as well which comes with the millennium and i think i think that kind of theme for me doesn't hold much meaning now because you know the millennium's gone and lots happened since then and the world has moved on in some in some respects through great leaps and bounds and we have some really incredible technological Mm -hmm. innovations uh in our hands now or, or assumed to to occur but also we have some really terrible kind of backwards fundamentalist kind of issues that plague us in this apparently the future so i think i think it'd be interesting to see how mage 20 is influenced by maybe the cynicism that exists in a kind of a post i think i think fair mm. to say a post 9 11 world of the 21st century because i think we whereas before i always say this the old world of darkness always had kind of, classic world of darkness had this kind of like millennial fever where the end of the world's coming and Everyone's rushing to get their house in order so that when the end comes, they win. Whereas I think New Order Darkness at least represents, and this is, I think, maybe then some of the themes that are, that are coming into these 20th anniversary books, is that, you know, because we haven't had the, the end of the world, uh, since we, we can ignore now 
events from like Gehenna Apocalypse and the Ascension books and just continue these stories in some way. We now have this kind of the 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 ennui of uh, of uh, of the slow pro- progression into the future and whether things really are ever going to get any better like yeah we could have stem cell research tomorrow we could have you know something else happen tomorrow some other wonderful you know holograms and all these other things but is the world getting any better for that we're still plagued by these age-old concerns and it's interesting because we brought up this topic when we were talking about things like the progenitors convention book and that does turn up in those books is the idea that humanity this kind of like this 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 cynical feeling of humanity as a whole is turning up for the technocracy because essentially they have won a large proportion of the ascension war and they're ready to roll out a utopia for everyone and even and humanity is rejecting it wholesale they're just like no we want to exist in our in our world where you know death and destruction is still commonplace so in that respect it's kind of that's kind of a thing of humanity can't accept a utopian ideal which, which is an interesting point when you consider what agent smith is saying to uh, morpheus in the uh, in the first matrix film that they they tried to create the perfect matrix and humanity just kept waking up from it mm. and not accepting it that's a it. very interesting point chris and i think it's interesting because you know when Mage Revised came out in 2001, I believe. White Wolf declared that, yes, the technocracy won. Mm-hmm. But we do see that in the real world, that's not really the case. There's still, uh, you know, many countries out there which are still um, advancing in technology and entering industrial ages. And uh, there's still just many different cultures and different ideas that still exist. And while perhaps the uh, Western world has become more, um, how do I want to put this? stabilized in its its culture and beliefs um it's still very much changing in, in other parts of the world and um you know definitely what they were thinking in mage revised with you know the turn of the century or turn of the millennium uh, just doesn't really seem to be the case so yeah i just think it's kind of an interesting point and uh something to keep in mind as we discuss this so uh just to kind of move along actually i'd like to jump in here for a second <laughs> All right, Chig, go for it. I disagree with uh, Satiros, Phil Bricato. Yes, Mage is definitely kind of 90s. Mage, as presented thus far, has been very 1990s. Like Chris said, um, all of the Old World of Darkness games were plagued by millennialism, by the end is nigh, by we have to fight this final battle, and we, co- and we the players come in at the last chapter, and we can jump in there and save or doom us all. That was part of the fun of it, though. Um, mm-hmm. Since the uh, the 90s, since the revised con- convention books and uh, other World of Darkness products that have been put out, including the other kickstarted uh, giant edition books, uh, they've, they've moved past that. They said, okay, well, maybe we were a little off on our timetable. Maybe the end is not exactly nigh. Um, but there's still battles to be fought. There's still things to do. And I would also disagree with your assertion, Mike, that uh, the Western world has moved beyond all of its uh, foo and fuzzy thinking. Um, how many people believe in the singularity? That's, that's you know, 
been called the nerd rapture by by better thinkers than I, and that's as crazy and out there as you know Jesus is going to come down from the clouds and take us away. That's computers are going to come down from the clouds and take us away. It's mm-hmm. it's it's a step to the right, but it's still not any more linear rational thought. Right, 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 right. It'd be nice, but <laughs> that doesn't mean it, that doesn't mean it's going to happen. Uh, beliefs change, and that's another part of Mage. Absolutely, yes. Very, very good point, Jig. I think in Mage twenty, the thing. The, where it's different, I think it's also important to, as for comparative purposes, maybe look at the themes in in Mage: The Awakening, because then you get maybe a more of a feel for what for what Mage: The Ascension was, and where maybe Mage Twenty can really move into and grow, and answer some things, because a lot of the antagonistic elements in Mage in Mage: The Ascension are between you know tradition mages and you know the technocracy and the Nefandi, but reality is this kind of it's still this uh, melting pot and grand experiment to that if you can get in at the right point to get your idea into into the into the gestalt into the zeitgeist into 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 consensus you know you're winning small battles by slowly directing uh, the course of humanity and reality is something that everyone can take by you know, can grab hold of and make some sort of change to it whereas if you look at mage the awakening that isn't the case because you know you, humanity as a whole and the pentacle mages who are kind of like you can kind of say are the kind of similar to the tradition mages as in they're the main protagonist protagonists you're trapped within the cage of reality and you're using what little parts of 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 occult wisdom still survive and still are able to make a change to reality and so while in mage you're trying to establish what is what you think is the best reality that could be because you believe in that way of of magic science whatever in awakening your your fight it doesn't matter how you do your magic you're all fighting for the keys to reality to take back humanity's birthright and so in that way they they're very different they're 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 answering and they're telling very different stories and that's really important to bring up because one of the things that pissed me off tangent moment then let's just bring this up oh thank god eddie webb addressed Let's not have Mage Twenty B uh, and all the the threads and for, um, forum talk on that be a place for people to start doing addition wanking over the different Mage games because that pissed me off so much. So I'm glad that was addressed because yeah, they are. I think they are very different games. That's true. Um, Chig, you you could explain the differences between all the different Mage editions if you really wanted to. I could. I believe that actually comes up later on in the FAQ, though. So oh, oh, okay. save it for that. Yeah, we should probably get back to that. All right, right. Following the structure. Yeah. Um, where the hell were we? Oh, we're at we were at, we were at point number two. We're at number three. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Are you incorporating recent technological, social, and political elements? Quote. Oh yeah. End quote. Yeah, that's a good okay. That's that's good to know. Mage would be, too, I mean, playing a virtual adept without considering recent technological and social and political elements would 
be ridiculous. I mean, we've got smartphones, a better internet. The internet is, is I mean, for the, virtu the virtual adepts on some level have won as well. They've won it in a big way. I don't know. Uh, the problem is, con the problem is have control. Really? Yeah, Chris, Chris, yeah, you, you weren't here see, for a discussion that's, that's before. A Just jump in here. We're talking about net neutrality a little bit and uh, certain issues. Oh, yeah, well, that's what I mean. They haven't won in a big way. They've, they've, they're, the science is there. The control element yes. is a big issue, which is the political element. Mm. So, um, yeah, I mean, you, you can't ignore recent technology and social stuff. I mean, this leads into, you know, playing a, you know, playing progenitors and having progenitors in the setting because on some on some levels the progenitors have also achieved great things but also massively fucking up in other ones absolutely i think that describes aptly the uh, technocratic paradigm <laughs> the, i think we've the, achieved the, the so much but we fucked up a lot more <laughs> yeah, i think the, the the technocrats is i think to be honest, the most exciting thing for me personally to play in a Mage 20 game is actually the technocracy. Because, you know, the world, their kind of vision is there to a, to a certain extent. But it's, there, there are places where their timetable and, and their, their ideas have gone off in ways they did not expect. And as much as they've been brought progress to the world, there's been some horrific events which they need to you know, deal with. And um, I think in some respects, there might be quite a, a, a deeper story to uh, tell with the technocracy. And I, maybe that is the, 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 the ultimate story to say, maybe with mage 20 with like how we we're moving with technology and you know you've got religious fundamentalism you've got the resurgence of certain philosophical and religious ideas in the sense that you know uh paganism is possibly you know in some areas is is one of the fastest growing uh religions because you know it's it's so easy to disseminate and everyone on the internet can talk about it is that the world now i think maybe the theme of mage 20 is not about science versus technology and control to an extent it's still control versus freedom but is it really now the main fight between the the old way of doing things which is everything is in its nice little uh in its nice little square in its this is in its round hole that one's in its square hole that one's in its triangular hole and they don't mix and that's science, that's magic, and that's that's religion, that's outdated, that's philosophy, which is also outdated, that's philosophy that we're okay with. And maybe what Mage 20 is about is that there's a group of mages, maybe, and maybe a group of te technocrats that are thinking, shit, by trying to get rid of certain elements, but in trying to achieve their goal, which is whatever their grand consensus paradigm is, in trying to get rid of the other elements, they've actually... They, they've unwittingly removed certain things from reality or at least damaged it to a point that that's that's the reason why reality is falling apart um and how paradoxical exactly hmm. and that's if kind only of there like, were a term for that in the game yeah and and it's almost kind of like uh it's almost kind of uh, the paradigm uh analogy to the ideas of um of oh shit i was trying to think of the uh the word 
what were the Nazis really big on? Begins with E. Eugenics. Eugenics. Because there's actually, uh, there's two ways you can take the term eugenics. There's actually positive eugenics and negative eugenics. So negative eugenics is removing, by genocidal means, all elements of genetic stock, right? Whereas mm-hmm. positive is trying to, to enable as much diversity as possible. Because if you have enough diversity, then, then good things will grow out of it. Diversity is a good thing. Um, so maybe that's the way to look at what the war for ascension is, is now is not the negative war for ascension, which is where you remove everything and you're left with the one true paradigm. But the, the true war now is for the diversity, and maybe that's what the traditions actually do reset, uh, represent, is that diversity, and that the one true paradigm is where anything goes, which is also kind of chaotic. Very Maybe the marauders so. hold the gate, hold the keys to the tr- the truest form, the best form of reality, where everyone is able to realize their own dreams. Well, I believe anyway. that was a, a virtual adept goal at one point was to have was everybody given given their own personal reality, given their own, yeah virtual world. Yeah. Anyway, so social, political, and and technological elements are. Which yeah, you have to include that in a game that yeah. is about society and politics and technology. <laughs> it's it's kind of a given. Right on, right on. This is getting pretty deep, but we got to move on. All right, I'm going <laughs> to combine the next couple together. All right, so how are we handling okay. things that have changed since 1993? So uh, one of the core things is that they're going to have little sidebars in the book, which are future fates, which um, will tell you events that have happened uh, you know, canonically in the books. Uh, things that might happen or, you know, um, changes from the original canonical version from uh, previous source books and events that never happened. But, um, you know, you could you could, you know, have some options to uh, add in new ideas to uh, your your game uh, as a storyteller. So in that way, much like the other, um, uh, you know, V20 and, and W20, they have a lot of options in there for including the meta plot if you would like. Uh, and, you know, you can feel free to leave it be uh, if necessary. And one of the uh, core elements that a lot of people debate about on the internet is, of course, the Avatar Storm, which was a uh, an event caused by, um, I, I guess I would say it's caused by the Sixth Great Maelstrom in the Shadowlands when they exploded the Wraith, the Oblivion line, uh, and how the uh, mages were basically... Uh, in the revised edition, Earthbound, uh, really brought the focus back to Earth, as opposed to you know Void engineers fighting the Vandy off of the uh, you know moons of Saturn and that sort of stuff going on. So the Avatar Storm is now basically optional. They're going to include a lot of information on it in your game, but you don't need to include it, and you can still play your game uh, in that sort of pre-Avatar Storm um, situation. Uh, and just just ignore it and pretend it, it never happens. So that's really a, a big change, and I think that's the most uh, political thing they could do to uh, keep people happy. Because um, mm. personally, I think that the Avatar Storm mechanically was a good idea uh, in that it you know brought everyone back to Earth and made that the focus of the game, which you know it should be. It's, just, it's a game about humanity and you know the growth of humanity and uh, what these individuals can do to help guide and change it. And then when you have Star Destroyers exploding above Pluto, 
you know, it's kind of taken away from that that core element, I feel. so. Yeah, it depends how pulpy you want to play Mage, because I think if you play it that way, Mage becomes, you know, really high on pulp kind of style gameplay, whereas if you keep it, you know, restricted to Earth and quite local, then it becomes more um, kind of an occult shadow war, which is, um, I feel, more fun. I agree with you. I, I was a fan of the Avatar Storm in uh, Revised Edition because it kept people from saying, hey, uh, we're traditionalists and uh, we kind of screwed up and lost Earth, so let's go play in the Umbra. Yay! It, I don't know, it just it struck me as a, as a good idea to keep things grounded. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But uh, if you're into that sort of more like high adventure feel and you know the exploration aspects of mage that's still going to be there so it's a cool option should you like to uh use it so here's a big one we're already kind of uh discussing this but is the ascension war over and i'm going to read this one aloud quote things aren't that simple the war is based upon different factions fighting on many different levels over what they believe in possibly even acting out some metaphysical struggle that's bigger than human belief and although the nature of that war has changed, the conflict still remains. Also, the world is far larger than the United States, however, and Mage, <laughs> and Mage 20 <laughs> takes the entire world into account. As events since 9-11 have shown, many people around the world, even the United States, believe deeply in so-called supernatural. Science, faith, and magic can and do it coexist in the real world, and Mage 20 reflects that reality as well. End quote. There we have it. This is something we've been discussing the entire time, but uh, yeah, the Ascension War still rages on, and there's uh, a lot of conflict between different cultures and, and belief systems. I'm not sure I agree with your assessment that it rages on. I'm I'm just being contradictory today, apparently. Um, I don't think it. Yeah, I don't think it rages on. I think uh, it it I was think... it was always until revised edition ish a Cold War. It was it was very rarely. I mean, there were there were some battles, I suppose, but very yeah, rarely did they, you know, w send army yeah. against army. And in fact, that's really weird when you when you see that in like a source book, and they're like, I, I think I remember in the Void Engineer source book, they're talking about you know battling against Nefandi off of the moons of Jupiter or Saturn or something, and it's like, um, that doesn't really seem believable. Yeah, how many how many how many yeah. Nefandi were there, and how many of you were there? You're talking like you know Backstreet Brawl that sort of thing. You know, it's that that's that's the kind of battling I see in the Ascension War. It's it's really not one that you're going to win by sending wave after wave of expendable troops against, you know, the the castle in the sky. Yeah, that's actually an interesting point because I don't see when you put it like that, I wouldn't I wouldn't imagine the void engineers to have, you know, fleets of starships. I imagine that they have a fleet of essentially all kind of, you know, five-man, ten-man kind of scout ships to kind of get that whole exploration. You know, they're not, they're not fucking Starfleet as much as they right, want to it's, be. It's Firefly-sized ships, <laughs> not yeah, Enterprise-sized yeah, yeah. ships. <laughs> um, the Ascension... Yeah, the Ascension War still goes on, but I think... I was just thinking about this, is that if you imagine what we were saying about kind of the, the millennial... Millennialism or millennial fever that was, you know, 
deep in the kind of the the uh, DNA of of classic world of darkness, and you could almost play up to that in that you have the in the Ascension War, you know, they're all fighting really hard because, you know, you've got the Red Star, it's coming, and whatever that means. And uh, you've got this, uh, you know, you know, 2012, you know, you know, getting closer and the, the Mayan calendar and all that crap. And so you've got, kind of got, like, you know, the technology going, oh, yeah, you know, this is going to be our singularity is coming. We've got to, if we win there we get our singularity and we, you know, humanity is, as a whole is uplifted. And you may have at that point, you know, in those last days before that date, you have the traditions kind of almost feeling like they should just give up and just hide wherever they can out in the sticks of whatever the back end of reality they want to go to. And so when that date comes and then passes and they realize that, no, that isn't the end, actually they're now into a new phase of the war for, for reality and that everything they thought would be the end is not. It'd be interesting to start a game of mage from that point where on some deep philosophical level, the, a group of tradition mages bands together because they realize that, that whatever phase of the war for reality ended then, something whatever they were fighting for then that war is over and maybe that war you know it'd be interesting to say what that battle was for was that battle for the hope of humanity and now we're into the next phase of reality where humanity doesn't really have that hope and that it's more this as i say this this ennui this cynical kind of thing and so so now both technocrats and traditions are fighting against the uh the deeply rooted entropy that comes from humanity's cynical view of reality and and of how the future will be just constant fights and technology you know causing the world to fall apart maybe that's what the new phase of the ascension war is is not a war for what paradigm is right but to stop humanity being so i guess lazy from giving up that was actually one of the major focuses of a uh, revised edition where the technocracy technically won, yeah. There, you know, a car will work here, a car will work there. Technology is a for really real thing. But uh, really just nobody cares anymore. Apathy yeah. has won. So maybe they will uh, cover that. Maybe they'll move beyond that to uh, something else. We mm -hmm. shall see. I also would be interested to see how they build off the um, events of because I really like the idea was uh, transmissions um, from the road uh, council. Well, no, yeah, because I thought that was a good book. That was kind of interesting where they went with that. the 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 adventure at the end of it was a bit weird. But hey. did they ever reveal what the uh, road council was? It was a is that something? Is that a spoiler? Uh, I road, think it's it's fifteen. Years uh, later, it might I be a bit of a spoiler, but. Yeah, I mean the road council <laughs> was essentially just still the uh, what's just the the, the horizon okay. council. Um, they were just uh, because it they were was cut Dante. off. Yeah, they because they were cut off. They were they were um, you know from reality. They were finding uh, a new means to kind of to contact and and galvanize the tradition majors into a. Uh, 
to into a new phase of the ascension war almost as if they the 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 you know the the council on horizon realized that you know holding their seats there meant nothing if they couldn't fight for earth itself nice interesting interesting so with that, uh, next comment is, uh, how does Mage 20 handle the technocracy? And it says they're a playable option. Um, yeah, that's good. I mean... Yay. As well they should be. Hell yeah. a playable option for at least 20 years, yeah, or 15 years now. <laughs> technocracy games rock. Yes, they are very interesting because awesome. of all the, uh, really the infighting and, and politics. You know, they might seem like a monolithic organization uh, from the outside, but once you get into it, there's a lot of different ideals uh, and we've, of course, been discussing that here on the show uh, with all the convention books and, and all that. The Technocracy is my second favorite kind of game to run in Mage. Second favorite? <laughs> oh, your first favorite's Marauders? Second favorite. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> all right, cool. So, uh, yeah, we can just skip that. So, oh, wait, hold on, that's a good question for us. What's our favorite oh, tradition? Oh, okay. Um, Chig, why don't you start? Uh, what is my favorite? Do I have to limit it to traditions and conventions? Oh no, you, you can pick, pick a craft. You can pick whatever you want. Oh, Himkar Sobek. Oh, got a rocking my brains. Which ones are those? <laughs> those are the the uh, uh, the craft that is comprised entirely of uh, former serial killers and rapists who <laughs> are who share the avatar of the uh, Egyptian god of judgment, and uh, they go out and they hunt current serial killers uh, kill them and devour their liver so that uh, their god can stay alive. Oh, wow. Okay. Because they are completely psychopathic. Yeah. Just utterly fucked up. But I love them. <laughs> nice. <laughs> that's a really, to be honest, that's a really cool um, relationship. It's a really, really cool idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would be quite happy using that. Maybe not not having them as mages, but as some sort of uh, cult within New World of Darkness. I think they work really well for Hunter the Vigil. That's kind of cool. That'd be a really weird kind of uh, antagonistic group to fight against for a bunch of hunters. They work really well for Mummy the Curse. What if what if oh, uh, God, yeah. this one mummy gets uh, Sekum from the livers or something like that? Oh, uh, I think we have to wait until we learn some more stuff about Mummy the Curse. There's still some books coming right, out which okay. will reveal more truths about the deceived and so forth. Um, and the Anutsu... Uh, I can't remember. What's it? The Anutsu... Uh, oh, la, la. The Nuts. Anutsu Kunkan. That's the one or whatever. Yeah. Um, oh, everyone can guess what my favorite tradition is. It's obvious. Vir- virtual Adepts? Yeah, it's just... They're great. Uh, I, th- I thought they're... Um, revised tradition book was really spot on and uh i think they'd be even more more interesting exciting to play in this day and age because their paradigm would be so easy to work through so much stuff interesting well my favorite tradition slash craft is actually the uh the ali batini um oh yeah yeah i think the reason was that when I first picked up Dark Ages Mage, that's my really my first exposure to them, and really Mage in general. Reading through, they seem like this really interesting sort of, I want to say, pacifist uh, version of, of um, Islam and that sort of thing, which I just thought was very interesting at the time. I was taking also like a world religions class and that sort of thing, kind of learning about that stuff. So uh, they always just struck me as this uh, you know very interesting faction that I really wanted to kind of explore and, and do some stuff with, especially considering some of the... Uh, political climate at the time, because um, mm-hmm. that was back in like 2004, 
that I was reading about them. So, uh, yeah, I've always been just pretty interested in them. I guess in light of um, in light of uh, you know Assassin's Creed and you know how that relates to you know the assassins and and their origins in the the uh, yeah I would say the Alaba team would be uh, really cool to play with uh, yeah, as well. Absolutely. They really fit. I mean, sp- you want to do parkour and you you can control space. Yep. Awesome. Um, uh, <laughs> I would say other bits I really liked, which other favorites that turn up. I liked all the you know in the guide to the traditions it had all the um, technologically uh, based sub factions of the traditions. So you had the uh, within the cult effects, the house thig, of course, of the order of mm-hmm. Hermes. Um, those all seemed really interesting and i think again because they kind of represent maybe where the ascension war is maybe moving to is that you know in, where groups are incorporating diverse elements of magic together to create something new um yeah nice nice and to just go through the uh, next couple of comments um yes they're going to deal with crafts they're not gone uh Yay. the nafandi and the marauders will be in the book I should hope so, because they've been in every core book. That's a playable faction. Uh, they will be there in glorious detail, I'd say. Uh, I would think that they would probably oh, give some basic rules. I mean, they're all based off of the same big purple paradigm. So, um, yeah. So we're going to get the Klopothic, um spheres. Uh, we might. I would be amazed if they included the Klopothic spheres, <laughs> spheres in the uh, in the core book. Because I believe that they say later on they're not including all of the technocratic spheres. Unfortunate. Or maybe they are. And of course, we're going to have lots of information on the Umbra and the digital web. Yeah, this web would be dumb to leave out in this day and age. Who uses the internet? Come on. Uh, Everyone that listens to the show. So, uh, the next thing, of course, is that there's not going to be much crossover material for uh, Vampire... Uh, or werewolf, but that's kind of to be expected. V20 and W20 didn't really have any crossover material, so... They're saving it for the book they include with the Storyteller screen, right? Uh, maybe? Right? Maybe. That's, that's, how, that's I mean, how it works in the past. <laughs> I don't know how good the crossover material they, they provide as in how to resolve some of the, you know, obviously, oh, you want a party which has a werewolf and a vampire and a mage in it. You know, I roll my eyes at that for Classic World Dance because you've got so many different things to address. Um, yeah, but whatever, if they can include it, great. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and then there's a couple of comments about magic, and I'm really going to skip the first two, which is really just discussing why they put a K at the end of magic. Um, and you can <laughs> definitely read uh, Phil's justification for that, uh, which is all actually pretty interesting. But did you revise Mage's magic system? Let's read this out loud. Quote, we fixed a number of flaws, clarified a lot of muddy subjects, and had plenty of optional rules, but did not change the essential system. My brain trust and I worked hard to bring out the best elements of Mage's freeform magic rules without making the changes that would mess up over 20 years of source material. End quote. Hmm. Well, there we go. Still going to be casting with your arete and uh, spheres and... Um, of course, there's going to be uh, vulgar and non-vulgar and, and all that. Um, so mm-hmm. uh, it's still there. Yeah. Any any comments on the magic rules? I would imagine that, given the type of people that worked on this 
uh, and obviously in to whatever extent they've learned things since then and worked on another game called Mage. Uh, I'm going to guess they'll have more examples of rotes within Mage 20. Yes, I think that's a good idea. Because rotes, because rotes in Classic Mage were always talked about as this thing that's really useful, but it was never really... They weren't often codified, and not codified to the greatest extent compared to, say, Mage the Awakening. And in Mage the Awakening, rotes are a really important kind of... Uh, social collateral you know there's something to be traded and i think that's the one thing that m20 was kind of missing was just the amount of just examples mm. okay I'm, I'm as big a fan of roads as anybody and i really hope that somebody at onyx path has figured out what the hell you do with prime because <sighs> they included that in way too many roads and that were completely unnecessary but as far as trading roads amongst people that's all well and good as long as you have at least a similar paradigm oh yeah of course but, yeah but like in 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 um the other mage games for the new world of darkness the awakening they all basically share one fairly yes. similar paradigm in mage the ascension if you're playing a verbena and you want to teach your virtual adept how to do something that you do by drawing blood and calling down the moon goddess or whatever that's going to be a really tough translation oh yeah so i don't know if you can really use rotes the way that they do for all things in the new world of darkness as you could in the old world of darkness or vice versa i guess it would be just a case of how much role play you want to put in depending upon how different uh, a group's paradigm is and uh you know, spending the appropriate experience to represent the uh, the um, philosophical uh, hurdles that would have to be covered. Because I think that would have to obviously depend upon, you know, the storyteller and uh, how it's run. But I imagine that, you know, teaching a rope between, say, the Order of Hermes and in particular Order of Hermes from one of their sub-factions, can't remember the name, that is rather mathematically minded them teaching a rote to a, a virtual adept for how you uh, heal someone is a, they've got different hurdles and to cover compared to as you say a verbena or uh, a dream speaker I agree. but that's cool I mean that's, that's good storytelling stuff that's always good fun you know where, where an order of Hermes and a virtual adept just go yeah, we're just we're actually both just working with numbers, and you're just manipulating information in a slightly different way to how I am, and you know that's kind of cool. All right, nice. Um, let's just move on to the next one. So, does M twenty include path based sorcery, the pillars from Dark Ages Mage, the Technocratic Spheres, or the magic system from Mage of the Awakening? Um, okay, and the answer is quote. Yes, Mage 20 does include the Technocratic Spheres and an optional section in the Magic Rules chapter. But no, we did not include the other stuff, because this book is already really huge, and that material would ha not have fit in to its already titanic word count. End quote. All right, awesome that they have the Technocratic Spheres, but, you know, Chig, really wish they had, you know, updated, revised rules for the Dark Ages Mage Pillars. Man, you and me both. You know I'm a fan. Yeah. 
yeah. pillars were great. It's just such a great rule. Pillars system. were, in my opinion, they were an improvement over the uh, the spheres in Arate. It made paradigm much more obvious to your to your player. It made it, it made mage. I would say it made mage more accessible mm-hmm. uh, for players. Indeed. Very like, much. I could see, I could. It would be nice to have a way of playing mage where you start with pillars, even even the the uh, something that's analogous for pillars for, you know, mage twenty. So as in modern day mages that have, where you run it just off pillars, and then have some sort of as players get more advanced, they have the choice to transition to sphere based, because pillars really told you exactly what you could and couldn't do with your paradigm. Like you know, you could, you could set fire to something, but this other group really just couldn't just throw fireballs because the paradigms yeah, were so yeah. different. Um, it's interesting. Yeah. It's, you could do anything you wanted to with any par- or with any set of foundations and pillars. It was just much harder to justify. Uh, for example, the Ali Batini yes. had a fire pillar, so throwing that fireball it's pretty easy to do. But if you're playing one of the uh, the Valdermen, um, it's harder to justify you'd have to uh i think chiggy used the example of crafting a uh, an explosion rune or something to uh create that ball of fire that sort of blast sure. it it can be done but it's not it's it's much easier for group a than it is for group b and yeah. that's that is paradigm and absolutely action. which is just one of the, the great things uh the only issue i see with uh foundations and pillars is that they kind of do set the one group, like a tradition or crafts paradigm in stone, really. Um, and it's going to be a bit more difficult, I think, to to have that sort of interesting variety with paradigms. You know, this one, Son of Ether, is going to be a mad scientist. And the other one uh, is Chig's old character who was abducted by aliens. So he has that kind of like alien technology feel to him. And another one who was a... Um, uh, dirt bike mechanic and then just makes everything out of like cool diesel engines and that sort of thing so it might be more difficult but they, they could put in a system that would be interesting um little tweaks you can add in you know maybe like mini pillars or some sort of uh small merits that could uh adjust foundations mm-hmm. and pillars uh just to kind of bring things back and explain how the uh pillar and foundation system works in uh in Dark Ages Mage, uh, essentially each fellowship, that's what they're called in, in Dark Ages Mage, has foundation, one singular foundation, and then multiple pillars. Um, and with those, they cast their magic. So the foundation um, for the Order of Hermes, I think, is really just you know, the basic kind of big purple paradigm um, kind of arete uh basically and then they have multiple sub pillars you know one maybe dealing with uh fire-based magic another one dealing with um yeah spirits i i don't remember them specifically off the top of my head i have to go grab the book uh it won't be easier for me to talk about the uh, ali Batini. so they have uh they have their one um kind of correspondence foundation really and then they have a pillar about fire a uh, pillar about i think there's one about hajj which is very warlike and, and conflict-based um so from there you kind of mix and match the uh, pillars and come up with your spell that you want to use. So, for example, that fireball is going to focus on the uh, the fire pillar. But if you want to uh, correspond over long distances, well, that mostly might just be focused on a different pillar and your foundation. Um, so that's kind of how you justify the spells within your paradigm. And uh, as with the example we used before, you know, casting a fireball, it would be very easy for the Ali Batini to do. So he might only need 
you know, one dot in that, that fire pillar. But for the Valderman to make explosive runes or something like that, uh, essentially maybe he'd be creating gunpowder in, in some ways, uh, he'd need to use many different pillars and provide a rather complex justification for what he's doing. So that's kind of Dark Ages Mage Foundations Pillars uh, in a nutshell. So there we go. It's a really interesting system. I know there's some complaints about it. Uh, I was attacked on the old White Wolf forums for supporting it when people were... They were complaining that the Order of Hermes are... They can't do as much um, with the Dark Ages Mage system. They don't, they don't have, yeah, they don't have every single <laughs> access to every single sphere, which is, you know, I mean, I guess that limits them compared to the, the modern ages, but, you know, maybe it's game balance. Well, I should point out that, well, canonically, the reason that there are nine spheres and that it's controlled by Arate is because when the council got together, the Order of Hermes, who had the biggest guns in the room, said, this is how magic works. And they imposed their will upon everybody else there. And so reality changed so that, yep, sure enough, that's how magic works. Mm. So in, in, in Mage, the reason that the Order of Hermes are right is because the Order of Hermes said a long time ago, we're right, this is how it works, pretty much. And everybody else kind of went along with that. Cool. All right, so I think that's it for... Um... You know, obviously, there's not going to be Mage of the Awakening's magic system, although I'm sure Chris would love that. Oh, there's a translation guide already out for that. Oh, damn, you're right. Of course. <laughs> They've already done that. They've already done that. Great. Um, Again, isn't it one of the things that people would uh, quite happy playing Mage the Ascension using Mage of the Awakening's rule set, just as people are happy playing Vampire the Masquerade using Vampire the Requiem because the newer rule set better reinforces core themes of the games without letting things get overpowered or just going a bit, you know, derpy, I guess. Uh, yeah, anyway. Um, what's the next thing? Well, I'm going to skip over the next couple ones because they're not too relevant. So we're going to jump down to how are you dealing with paradigms and foci? And I think that's a, a very good topic since we were just discussing paradigms. So well, I'll just read this one aloud. Quote, a mage changes reality through the force of belief. And so, Mage 20 combines a character's belief, or paradigm, practice, originally known as magic style, and instruments, originally called foci, into a single category, focus. Focus reflects what your mage does in order to make things happen. That character's belief, beliefs guide his practice, the practice directs his actions, and the instruments turn those actions into results. A computer-based techno-mystic, for example, believes that she can change the reality code. She uses the practice of reality hacking, which employs instruments like information technology and computer codes in game turns, a language. Mage 20 features an array of paradigms, practices, and instruments, all of which can be combined in nearly infinite ways to suit the character you choose. This way, you build the mage and her abilities outward from her beliefs, using an integrated approach to magic that suits the character you create. End quote. That sounds freaking great. That seems like it's a very good way to help build up paradigm within the existing Mage the Ascension system. What do you think, Jake? Mm -hmm. That sounds like the way it should always have been done. You gotta let it age. You gotta let it age, Chig, and here we go. So, um, okay, I don't think we have much to say about that other than, yeah, it's pretty good. We we support you, Phil. Mage the Awakening does that, right? 
to an extent, you have your each of your pentacle mages. It's kind of like a. It's kind of. It's not quite yeah. a paradigm, but it's a way that you, you, it gives you the basis on how you enact magic. It gives you your practices. And then on top of that, you can overlay legacies. And then within the, all those groups, you can choose what kind of uh, f- your focus is. So you can there's 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 you know, it's kind of like in this box there are numerous tools that you can use to still make your character quite different to all other ones in there. So no, it's kind of cool to have that. I mean, that's really needed because it then means it then means you can use. An array of paradigms, perhaps, and instruments. It'd be interesting what you could come up with with that. Yeah, we'll have to see. Maybe they'll include some uh, further articles later. Should be good. So I'm going to actually uh, skip down a couple more sections to uh, a question that's near and dear to my heart. <laughs> Will I be able to understand the damn magic rules this time? Quote, I hope so. Unlike previous editions, Mage 20 addresses rules in a straightforward language. The florid metaphysical tangents get confined to the first five chapters where the setting concepts are explored. Every system has examples of those rules in action. I've kept the explanations as simple as possible. End quote. Cedros Phil Brucado, you, sir, are a godsend. Uh, I've definitely uh, had issues with Mage in the past where I just like not sure what's going on. You got you got your coincidental, you got your vulgar, you've got your prime. I don't know what that means. A lot of the times, I'm not really sure what correspondence really is supposed to translate to in most of these paradigms, uh, except for maybe like virtual adepts or you know the Batini, of course. But I could explain it to you real fast. <laughs> well, it's yeah, I mean, it's it's communication it's over distance, yeah. but don't you know, how do you justify it in a lot of these? Correspondence um, is a mystical term for you know the the planet Jupiter corresponds to power. It's connections. Had well, they no, called that's... it that from the beginning, like they did in the Sorcerer's Crusade, it would have made much more sense. It is. It is. It is that Jupiter represents power, but that's right. It is. It is that if that is your between... if that yeah. is your paradigm. Yes. Yeah. That is. That yeah. is indeed a connection that Jupiter has. Yeah. So correspondence is, is literally how in your paradigm do things connect. So in the virtual adept sense, everything is connected because we are a manifestation of of uh, of platonic reality. You know, there's a high reality that's just maths and numbers and information, and everything can be boiled down to, and all of those formula are connected to each other, yada 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 yada. They all you need to do is reskin that with say dream speakers. You've got hierarchy of of gods and spirits. Uh, reskin it for celestial choristers. Everything's connected because you have God and you have his hierarchy of celestial angels who form choirs. Uh, reskin it for Verbena, you could almost go into something to do with uh, tautologies and to do with how plants and life is all interconnected. Uh, it's a circle of life. Yeah, exactly. Uh, obviously, uh, for the technocrats, it's obviously how money is connected. If you're going to be the, like the syndicate, or it's how it's just how things are actually connected in real life. You know, to do with the elements and. Did you and see the uh, the data sphere? It replaces it replaces uh, correspondence. In, oh, in, in uh, the um, virtual adept. In, in no, virtual no, adept no, 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 no. It wasn't. It wasn't virtual adept. It was a techno- It was a technocratic sphere. They uh, yes. correspond with data, and that yeah. was just 
a perfect example. Which is basically just a, uh, a technocratic interpretation of what the virtual adepts have because they have the data sphere in their right. revised book. So it's the same thing, which makes sense because uh, the virtual adepts were technocrats. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so correspondence is fun. Prime is always a weird one. I mean... Prime yeah. has, has three uses. It's used for counter magic. It's used for meta magic, which is where you're affecting your or somebody else's magical spell. And it's used for creating something out of nothing, where yeah. both something and nothing are defined inside your paradigm, which makes it super weird. <laughs> <laughs> but it's important, yeah, the florid metaphysical tangents are kept out of the actual yep. explanations of the rules is helpful because... Ugh, you just don't need rules going well, you know, going off into some weird yep. description. Yeah, that'll be cool. Absolutely, absolutely. And it'll probably be a lot, um, the rules will probably be a lot shorter, definitely, because, I mean, the actual magic system, once you get down to actually figuring out how you roll the dice, it's, you know, you just make your dice pool, and then you roll it. It's really not that complicated, so um, that should make things a lot easier for players to read quick. The The, the basic... Yeah, the basic rules for magic will be simple. The things which they will expand upon, I hope, it, without so much, again, removing the florid, verbose talk and just getting down to, this is what this sphere lets you do. Because you can, you, know, you just don't need arguments where people complain, well, this sphere should let me do this. And it's like, no, it doesn't. Now, fuck off. Um... <laughs> Stop trying to explain why your your verbena is able to you know turn a turn a, a starship into a giant plant. All right, um, you know the, there's some stuff like where I think this is the problem with, with why that will be great is because mage is open to abuse by its very nature. Anyway, I like it. All right, next up, really easy one. Good. Will arch mastery be in mage twenty? Quote. No, it won't. End quote. All right, were there problems with that, Chig? As originally published, if you had five dots in a sphere, congratulations, you were god of that sphere. You could do anything with it that you wanted. Mm-hmm. You, if you had five dots in matter, hey, you are the master of matter. You can create, you can destroy, you can spin, uh, bend, fold, mutilate, whatever you want. And then they came out with Arch Mastery, which added mm-hmm. another five dots, which were just... St- Stupidly ridiculous. There was no need for them. All right, good to know. And with that, let's move on to the last comment on <laughs> FAQ Part 1. It's a very important question. Can I yeah. turn a vampire into a lawn chair? I'm not even going to read the answer. Jake, what do you think? Yes, because they are both matter. All right. <laughs> That's the official Chig answer. Chris, what do you think? About what? <laughs> Turning vampires into lawn chairs. <sighs> Who the hell gives a damn? Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's actually a much better answer than mine. Go with that. Mm. Well, the official Cedros Phil Grucato answer is, quote, only if you're willing to deal with the consequences. End quote. I think it's a wonderful answer. And, uh, well, it's a very good point. If it involves mages... a table being flipped in real life, then that's a major <laughs> consequence. 
<laughs> yes, that could happen. It's I just think it's consequence in mage games. It's yeah. actually a really good answer because it reinforces the fact that you know, really, a lot of this game is about consequences and the hubris of mages. Yeah. So yeah, it's a it's a good point. Kind of reinforces that. Good. So just to kind of wrap things up. This was supposed to be a short uh, episode, but apparently not. not. Um, <laughs> But part two of the FAQ is mostly questions about the product and that sort of thing. Um, yeah. They do not expect to be reprinting the Mage Taro as one of the stretch goals, but it could be its own Kickstarter or uh, a reward sometime in the future, uh, which is definitely pretty cool. Surely you can get not get the Mage Taro via drive through cards? I uh, was wondering about that myself, but apparently um, they said that one of the that the files are just too old. Um, and they're not they're not high enough quality. They're using that excuse again. Okay. I've heard it. They just have to scan them. Do I mean to get a good copy of them and scan them? Uh, maybe yep. and remaster them. Whatever. Yeah, I'm sure something will be worked out in the future. Yep. Scan them, then Photoshop, and just kind of clean it up a little bit. Could work. So, just something we want to go through with the uh, uh, second FAQ is that. Uh, they mentioned who's involved with Mage 20th, so I think we wanted to kind of go through and maybe like, you know, kind of be like, hey, that person's cool as we uh, go through and, and name some of these classic writers and new writers that are uh, working on this project. So just kind of looking through, and you guys can feel free to uh, kind of jump in here. Rochelle Sabrina Udell, I believe, co-wrote uh, Revelations of the Dark Mother, if I remember correctly, which is a very interesting uh, classic World of Darkness, uh, Vampire the Masquerade. Uh, sort of prop book uh, regarding Lilith and it's a uh, really Bihari. good book. Yeah, it's a it's a very high quality one. Chick and I have actually discussed uh, doing a segment on it because there's a lot of interesting ideas for Vampire the Masquerade, which were not really expanded upon too much uh, in the later game line, but definitely some really cool stuff. Uh, skipping ahead to some people I recognize, of course, Jackie Casada and Nikki Ria. Chig, they are a threat. All right, they are a threat to you becoming line developer or something like that for Changeling Twentieth. So. Watch out! I man. am perfectly all right with letting them have it. I really enjoyed the books that were developed for Changeling under those oh, two. Okay. They can go. They can take it and run. Nice. They also did a lot of work on Ravenloft, both the uh, Wizards of the Coast and the uh, you know Sword and Sorcery lines. So high quality writers. And then we've got uh, Bill Bridges, pretty well known. Mm-hmm. Pretty well known. You know, just did you know Werewolf, Mage, Promethean. Couple little sons. projects, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of, a lot of. Uh, he did Chig. He's the person who wrote Hunters Hunted, number one. He's all right in my book. All right, okay. Yeah, he's a solid writer. Uh, Jesse Heinig, of course, was uh, the revised era uh, line developer for Mage: of The Ascension. So, very well known. Uh, made a lot of interesting and uh, somewhat controversial, of course, decisions in, in revised line. But I think he's done some phenomenal work. And then we've got John Sneed, who's uh, very well known for his Mage the Ascension work. John Sneed. John Sneed. Um, you remember him. Just, uh, he does a lot, of, uh, a lot of other books now. A lot of I'm just looking at ones. his list, his uh, bibliography on uh, the White Wolf Wiki. Oh, no, he's, he's, oh, no, he's going to be great then. He's done a lot of cool stuff on his list. Wow, he's worked on such a diverse amount of things as well. Absolutely. Going from Trinity, you know, Mage the Ascension, Exalted, uh, and Changeling the Lost. In fact, oh, he worked on Victorian Lost, Wicked, and Geist. Worked on Eclipse uh, I'm phase. Sure, I'm sure 
I'm sure he will then bring... Uh, this is the thing, I think there's, there's a good number of writers on there which will bring... who, who span classic and New World of Darkness such that I feel then Mage 20 will be a modernized in the appropriate manner. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. Hey, Chig, John Sneed's going to be pretty all right in your book. Want to know why? Okay. Why is that? He helped write the Laundry RPG. I'm in. All right. Sounds good. Of course, let's look at uh, some of the sweet artists they've got. Uh, who we have here? Vince Locke, always well-known. Andrew Trebold, yep. Jeff Holt, I know him. Christopher Shy with his yeah. sweet Photoshop artwork. And <laughs> all the revised uh, con- or tradition book covers. And and convention books, right? Uh, and they've books. also yeah. got uh, Michael Kaluta. Awesome. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, my favorite, John Cobb. <laughs> oh, this stuff's always great. Great that we've got him back. And then um, the person that's doing the uh, kind of two-page splat illustrations the portraits for the book is echo uh chernick and he's done some pretty interesting stuff so far definitely high quality artwork so that's cool to see steve prescott another well-known guy and the other one i recognize here is jeff lubenstein who was actually fast's art director i think he's current for for the, for the new facet games incorporated he's the art director chris so Ooh. you never know you might uh brush elbows with him in the future yeah that'd be kind of cool um Oh, wicked. Yeah. I'll have to see what I can find uh, if he's done any sketches or ideas somewhere for Fading Suns, find out which pieces he's worked on recently. Mm-hmm. Mm. Nice. Okay, so I think that's really it for the FAQ. So do we have any, like, final closing remarks about uh, about Mage 20th? Some of the exciting, you know, passionate remarks? Come on, Chig. I know you're pumped. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. They've already got my pledge. Um, some of the uh, stretch goals look really fun. Some what stretch look... goals have they hit so far, and which ones like a, are coming like up? Like a dozen of them they've hit so far. <laughs> <laughs> they they kind of blew past their initial uh, goal within like yeah. a, day, a half a day. So yeah, I'll, uh, I'll read them out uh, just so you know people can find out what's going on with it. So stretch goals, uh, t-shirts. Okay, mm-hmm. and oh, kind of cool. meh about the t-shirts. Yeah, people will hear about that in the after show <laughs> for ten minutes or something. All right, character pack one. So um, they're actually releasing sort of like uh, I don't want to say like Children of the Revolution because that was uh, very expansive character write-ups, but they're making kind of a rogues gallery of different characters uh, in Mage of the Ascension. Um, I'd like to say it's kind of like Children of the Night, that source book for uh, Vampire the Masquerade revised. Um, so it's going to give you stats and the stories for different characters and kind of be plug-and-play interesting NPCs uh, for your game. Uh, the next one, next stretch goal, was actually a quick start. Um, and the really cool thing about this stretch goal was that once we funded it, uh, Rich Thomas said he's actually going to print up a bunch of copies of this for free RPG day. So Excellent. not only are backer is going to get a copy of this but you've also now have physical copies coming out that uh, you can pick up at the store or you know let other people pick up the game as well uh art budget increases okay oh here's the here's the really critical one sphere magic i think i need to actually read out what this stretch goal is okay (laughs) at a contribution level of blah 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 uh quote every backer who pledged the reward 
for a reward containing a Mage 20th PDF, receive a copy of How Do You Do That? A Practical <laughs> Guide to Sphere Magic PDF. This illustrated 60,000 plus word game system overview of common magics and rules for running them successfully. Yes, finally, they have a source book telling you how this magic system really actually works. It's kind of like an idiot's guide. And I think they should have probably done that 20 years ago, but uh, at least we got it now. Maybe maybe 15 years ago would have been fine. Oh, okay. Mm. Awesome. Uh, extra bookmarks, okay. Uh, book of Secrets, which is a lot of like extra ideas and cut material um, that didn't make it into the book. More tradition t-shirts. Familiar Strangers, which is another character pack. Mage the Ascension Anthology. Should be cool. Mm -hmm. Pay bump for the writers. That's always nice. Book of Secrets 2, so even more extra ideas that were cut from the uh, uh, original edition. And then finally, more tradition t-shirts. <laughs> They're really pushing those t-shirts. Awesome. They must have got a deal. That's the only thing I can think of. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's all print on demand, so yeah. I guess they were just like, well, let's, let's just make a bunch of t-shirts, and they're excited about it. They are excited about it. Nice. Um, Some, which is good, coming... because somebody somebody should be excited about it. <clears throat> and yeah. what have we got coming up? We've got a, a third character. pack three, which is monster, uh, Gods and Monsters, which is awesome. I think that's a really good PDF to look forward to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Ultra Deluxe Mage 20th. Yeah, which is kind of weird because one of their frequently asked questions was, can we add on pledges to get an extra big deluxe edition? And they said no. But <laughs> here, is a, here is an Ultra Deluxe Mage edition. So Yeah, that's interesting. Embedded uh, lenticular mage tarot card that transforms from the original depiction of Dante as the magician to a flaming card to a burned battle. Oh, wow, that's kind of weird, but cool. It's the uh, 1990s hollow foil cover. Yeah. They actually figured out how to make one? <laughs> Apparently so. Oh, man. I'm totally not going to back that, but... They should have just put, like, um... Actually, that'd be really cool. I'll say this now. If Rich Thomas does it, he needs to send me a free copy of, this, of the Ultra Deluxe one when they do it. Uh, idea for Wraith 20. The cover for the Ultra Deluxe one is holographic, so you, it looks like the ghosts are within the book. Oh. That oh, would be man. wicked. That's really nice. A holographic book cover would be really, really creepy. <laughs> I still like it just glowing in the dark, and that it still glows in the dark 20 years later. <laughs> <laughs> Why would they do they paint it with radon or like? Yeah, pretty much. Fuck. <laughs> yeah, it's nuclear. Yeah, it, yeah. it glows in the dark, and none of us can have children. But <laughs> oh, I'm. It's not long. Fair trade. It's not too long. I am looking forward to Demon's Descent's uh, book because it will fit with the rest of the New Order Darkness books mm. on that matter. Because Mummy doesn't quite look the same as the other ones. But yeah, cool. Oh, um, they that's that's it for the the um for the stretch goals then there's nothing else announced yet yep that's it so they're on what's their current total i'm just looking at it here current total is thousand dollars <laughs> yep. yep i'm thinking that's... i think this one might get up to exalted levels it might not surpass it but it's gonna get close yeah and that's gonna be huge all right so i think mm -hmm. that's it for mage the ascension i think we discussed the 20th anniversary edition in uh, quite a bit of detail um we're definitely all pretty pumped for it and yeah should be a good time. So with that, uh, I think it's time for closing remarks. And one important thing that we didn't cover at the beginning of the show is that we have a 
a reward to give out, don't we, Chris? Ooh, yeah, we do. Yeah. <laughs> so let me open up our uh, Darker Days Radio Gmail account and uh, kind of discuss some of the cool stuff we got here. So, um, of course, we had a contest for a copy of the Strix Murder Chronicle, Blood and Smoke, um, a hardcover, you know, POD copy that we'll be sending out. Uh, and we asked for people to tell us what uh, vampire clans each of the hosts would be or what our favorite is. As you remember last time, I tried to make this sweet computer program and it exploded as I was randomly determining who won. I did fix it on the show, <laughs> but uh, this time I'm going to be using a 10-sided die to determine who the winner is. But before we do that, let's just kind of, uh, you know, show some highlights of uh, what different people would be. So, of course, um, Kaz mentioned that I was totally a follower of Set because I'm so opposed to it, and that's exactly what a Setite would say. Great. <laughs> Sounds legit. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, Patrick Warren mentions uh, quite a bit. And uh, he, in fact, says that uh, Chris is clearly a Chiasid. He's a fate-tainted vampire, uh, you know, a Lozambra bloodline. Uh, but he also brings up that due to your scholarly pursuits, Chris, in Vampire mm-hmm. the Requiem, you're clearly a mechat of the Agadnatis bloodline. I can see yeah. that. You're obsessed with the fog of eternity and how to overcome it. I think that's quite fitting for you, sir. Yeah, I can't really argue with that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, Patrick also mentions, Chig, that you're clearly a true Bruja. Just throwing it out there. <laughs> Obviously. I, I time travel on a daily basis. Well, you're <laughs> roaming the countryside in search of wisdom. Oh. Yep. But then, of course, we have a uh, another Chris who spells it just like uh, Chris does here, who mentions that I'm a true Bruja and almost certainly part of the Talmahara. Could be. <laughs> and he says that Chig is a Kiasid, a fabled vampire with a polite lean. I yeah. am pretty polite. Mm, indeed. Indeed. What? Okay, <laughs> sorry, I haven't looked at some of these in a while. All right, I'm just going to read out all of Anthony's. Um, Mike would be a changeling hunting Kiasid. Why is every single one of us a Kiasid? This is awesome. Um, Chig would be a Gangrel, <clears throat> and Chris would be a Tremere with a primary focus of Technomancy. I think that's pretty okay, yeah. That's a good one. All right, we have Eric over here, who actually gave uh, Mark you know, a vampire clan. So he says that Mark would be a Vampire the Requiem Nosferatu, and part of the Belial's brood. Um, he's kind of hanging back and being pretty quiet, and nothing good can come of that. <laughs> uh, of course, he also mentions that I'm a Ventru, uh, one of the Holy Engineer uh, Bloodline uh, members, and I'm using this podcast in service to the callings of the God Machine. Uh-oh, better watch out. And of course, Chig is a Nosferatu. He's a member of the Seven Sect, and he's just waiting. By what? time. <laughs> That's what they think of you, Chig. I'm not sure I believe that at all. I'm pretty sure everyone thinks that you're conniving. That's just, that's what I'm getting here. Wow. All right, we can we can see what Michael Parker, uh, Michael Parker says here. Uh, Chris, you are a mechat and one of the circle of the crone. I think that's a good one. Mm, that's a good interesting. One. And Chig, this one surprises me, but you never know. You're a deva. You're one of the unbound. So you're just a guy out there just looking to have a good time. Who sent this one in? Who sent this in exactly? Do I know this person? Who was this? Hey, I don't know. Maybe he knows you. <laughs> oh, here's another good one. And Oisin says, um, Mike is clearly a Toreador anti Uh Yeah, thanks, Oisin. I didn't know I was some crazed <laughs> fetishist. 
vampire. <laughs> well, you do make uh, you know lampshades out of human skin. So whoa, to, whoa, whoa, to whoa. be perfectly allegedly, fair, I allegedly do that. I saw a nipple and a tattoo, Mike. What? Well, obviously, Mike is going to local, you know, local dungeon in his shirt woot. Oh yes, my uh, my graphic tees, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Chris is a freed gargoyle. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> what? Uh, yeah, I'm not okay. sure where that one came from. And Chig is, guess what? A true Broja. So I think that uh, looking at all these different entries, um, we're all time-traveling chaosed, searching for wisdom. Yes. I think that's what all three of us are. I just hope that my next leap will be the leap home. Oh, man. That was a good show. All right. And now I'm going to roll the die and see who the winner is. Uh, I got a nine, so that doesn't have to re-roll. <laughs> I got an eight, so I still have to re-roll. Only seven entries for a free book. Yeah, I know. Surprising. Oh, number six, it's Michael Parker. All right, congratulations, Michael. We'll be in contact with you soon for your free copy of Blood and Smoke. And with that, well, it's the end of our show. So, Chris, where can people get in contact with us? Uh, I don't know. Um, yeah, of course, people can, get, <laughs> no, people can get in contact with us via email at darkerdaysradio at gmail.com. Or they can find us on Twitter at Darker Days Radio. Or they can find us on Facebook, Darker Days Radio. Or they can find us on Google Plus, where we have a community, which is growing. We've got over 230 members. We may be one of the smaller World of Darkness communities, but we are at least one of the most active uh, with conversations going on fairly frequently. We also have a Darker Days Radio blog, which can be found at, uh, let me just check, I think it's just darkerdaysradio.blogspot uh, something or other. Anyway, mm-hmm. yeah, it's on Blogger. You can find us there. We also have a Tumblr, which I, oh, I don't do enough on, but there is a Darker Days Radio Tumblr. And I believe that is it. Oh, and of course YouTube, where all the episodes go up. Uh, I still need to upload the most recent Dark Days Radio, which was actually our actual play of uh, using the God Machine Chronicles rules. Nice, nice. Should be good. All right, I think that's it for this episode. So I hope you all enjoyed listening uh, a little bit about... Mage the Ascension, and we'll be back next time with a really full and complete episode. Uh, I think we're actually going to be talking about Mage the Ascension again, aren't we, Chig? We might. That might happen. We need to we need to get that segment done. And we will finally do our uh, Vampire the Requiem Blood and Smoke review, mm-hmm. and I guess Demon the, the Descent review, considering they run off the uh, same rule set. Absolutely. So, that's it for this episode of Darker Days Radio. And everyone... Have a good night. Ooh, ooh, a V-neck. Yeah. Can wear that out, clubbing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if show... you went out if you went out clubbing wearing one of those, then I'm sure it'd be great for like a uh, a, a '90s theme party, maybe. Oh my um, god, yes.
They have 90s night. Where is that place? Ah, oh, I need to go. <laughs> I'll go with I'll get the Brujat one and go with a V-neck and that'll be a fucking amazing. But like, hold on. If I just if I just click on the uh... thirty bucks for a V-neck shirt. Well, it's American Apparel, so you know it's you know high quality. <laughs> Is that actually high quality? I don't even know. No, uh... that is, that's. I mean, it's it's not poor quality, but it's not you know something great. Yeah, when you say thirty bucks, it's it's uh, I'm because all my prices are in uh, euros. So um, yeah, they're okay prices, I guess. I mean, they're not massively. It's not charging you much more than say if you went shopping at H and M for something that's kind of equivalent. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, but we got like it. over here, we got like Woot shirt, so you can get for twelve bucks a sweet graphic tee. Yeah. So that's like kind you of can like go to T Fury. And get one for like eleven bucks. Oh well, fine. I mean, they change. They change every day. Oh yeah, same thing with but, like the whole problem with a lot of these things for me anyway um, is the size, the sizing because you know the yeah we use American sizes. Get one. Yeah. <laughs> so oh god, I know. Yeah, you know, I like. I can finally fit into a small shirt pretty well. <laughs> after gaining yeah. like thirty pounds over the past year. Oh my god. Oh I need to buy this shirt on Woot. This is amazing. Look at this penguin. What? Hold on. <laughs> That's adorable. Yes, it is. <laughs> oh my god. Hold on guys, gonna get to delay the episode for a little bit. By the way, I'm recording this, so it might just be tacked on at the end of the show. Yeah. Uh, hold on, I was going to look for um, where it's, uh, if I find Dinobot. Um, oh yeah, so that's that one. So um, all this stuff on Redbubble is the designs that my friend does. Uh, she recently moved to uh, India with her partner because he's working for some AAA computer games there as their... Is, Sam, is Steve now like head design? Design principal character artist, which is a, nice. sounds like a pretty cool job. Um, then he has to live in India for it, so I mean, minor yeah. details. Um, apparently, it's not too bad over there. They, um, it's because the, the he's being paid enough that, and it's pretty typical over there that you um, you pay for housekeeping and so forth. So it's kind of a new experience for them to, you know, have a housekeeper and everything. Um, but, uh, yeah, Heather, um, does all this stuff, and, um, I think there are some products which are the, if you go on the photographic prints, I don't, not that one, maybe not, oh, right, so it's Dinobot Tees, that's, that's the bit, that's it, sorry, uh, if I give you that link, not Dinobot, but this one, that's all her stuff, specifically, and then you see the epic paintings. So those are all the art that she did based on our Changeling the Lost game. Wait, mm-hmm. that's on Redbubble? Mm-hmm. What? Epic paintings. Nice. World of Darkness inspired epic paintings. Oh. So yeah, those are all the character art that she did for our Changeling the Lost game. That's only three of the characters. I don't know if she's ever going to do the other three characters that there are 
that dude with the guitar is pretty bamf. What's his story? Uh, so he's a um, he's a musician who got taken by the True Fae and got taken to this realm where he basically existed as a sound. And uh, but it was a realm that was like completely dark, so that's why he's like a a darkling changeling. But he's from like I think New Orleans or something. And then you know when he escaped the Fae, uh, he arrived in Venice. So he basically, you know, busks in Venice, which, you know, is fairly normal. Sorry, I'm I'm still buying this shirt on uh on Woot. Just gonna stall for a little bit more. I was hoping there'd be more of a story for that character. The other characters you've got there are the one on the left uh is so it says Fracky, yeah. She's a um she was taken from like pre-bronze age britain so she's been away from the from the from the real world a long time mm. um and got back and is you know part uh i think meant to be part wolf you know so it's a is a um shit why can't i even think of the name of type of changelings they are oh whatever um Probably. i don't think it's i don't think Something it's that, like that. I, don't, I can't I don't know why I can't remember the uh, the uh, terms. Um, fairest darklings. Uh, what's the other ones? Beasts. There we go. Yeah, beast scene. And then the other one in the middle is uh, Sam's character, who is a uh, uh, water elemental, and is uh, kind of combines a water elemental with being also a siren. <laughs> okay, Mike. Sorry, I need my adorable graphic tees. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you go out clubbing in those quite often, do you? No, I usually wear a shirt with a collar. Like everyone else. Speaking of which, some girl tried Formist. to beat me up in uh in the bar last night. <laughs> yeah. Really? What did you do? I, I was just, like, kind of dancing around, and then, like, I guess my head hit her head, but it was, like, from behind. Uh- then turned around and was like, whoa, 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 I really, I'm really sorry. And she's like, what are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. She's like, going to fight me. And then we were like, uh, let's, let's just get out of here. I already apologized. Why, why are you even still here? And that's how we danced away. 